This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode that you're about to hear is live and unedited. If you're interested in watching the live stream, head over to facebook.com slash recoveryrevolution100. We record a new episode every Monday night starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. What is going on? It's Monday night. It's time for another episode of Recovery Revolution Live. I'm Brett. I, uh, I'm one of the co-hosts here on Recovery Revolution Live, and I also have another podcast called Recovery Survey with new episodes every Wednesday. Well, technically, almost every Wednesday. So this Wednesday, I'm actually re-releasing one of my old episodes because I'm in the process of moving, and right now I'm sitting in basically an empty apartment because I didn't have enough time to get all my equipment moved to the new place. But all right, we're gonna we're gonna get through this, and uh, yeah, I'm joined tonight. By Grimes, the Miami, Florida president. Hello, Ashley. Hey, how are you? Doing all right. Glad to see you. I know we were all kind of scrambling here at the last minute trying to uh, get everything figured out who was going to be on, who wasn't. Carl's a little under the weather tonight, so he, uh, last minute, he kind of dropped out and you uh, texted and said you would step up and, and help co host tonight. So, Grateful to have you on the show. Grateful to be here. We got this. Yeah, Life we gets got in the this. way, but we'll be all right. We've got we a great guest that'll fill in the, the gaps. Absolutely. And without any further ado, I'm going to introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Jay Maxwell. What's How going on, man? Not much. How's, it, how's everybody doing? Good, good. Let's, let's make you the big square. I don't want to be the big square. We're the co-hosts. We're the little squares. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how's everybody yeah, doing? It's, yeah, thank you for having me. This is uh, truly an honor. I really appreciate the time tonight. And for everybody watching, thank you for joining us. Well, we're Absolutely. grateful you're here. Yeah, so uh, why don't you tell the people that are on the stream uh, about your book, man? That would be awesome. So... Um, I'm uh, I'm Jay Maxwell. Um, I wrote a book of poetry. It's titled "Sober Thoughts from the Crazy House." It is available on Amazon. I'll post the link here in just a minute. Um, it's a collection of my struggles with addiction and mental illness over the years. Um, as of now, I'm recovered. Well, recovering. Whenever truly recovered, right? Always in recovery. Uh, I've been recovering for a year and a half now and uh staying strong um tomorrow i actually go back to school uh, i'm going to be starting uh my degree in substance abuse counseling to kind of help others with their own struggles and uh give a little back so yeah that's awesome Sounds exciting yeah, I'm definitely pumped. I'm uh, going to be going back to school. I'm 31. Going back to school is a little weird, but uh, I figure it'll be something that's going to make me happy and excited to get up in the morning and feel good about the work that I do rather than uh, the number of dead-end office jobs that I've worked for the last few years. So, yeah, um, looking forward to... Uh, going through school with like a clear head because whenever I was in school, that was like the height of my addiction. And 
uh, the last thing I cared about was class and studying and all, all that good stuff. Like, it's kind of a wonder that I got my first degree. So, yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I think I was 35, 36. I went back in 2020. So I just turned 37 in December. And so you're doing it before I did. So pat on the back for that. Yeah, and I'm in yeah, grad for, school now, so. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and for anyone that's interested interested in uh, Jay's book, it is on our Facebook page on the Recovery Revolution Facebook page under the shop section. So if you guys are interested in that, it'll be available under the shop tab. Karen, I'm so proud of Jake, too. So that's two of us. Oh, oh she's super proud. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to lie. That's my mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'll join the mom fan club. Cool. Very cool. Uh, it's it's good- awesome that you have family support. It's huge. Um, without that, without her, my dad, my wife, um, who's in the other room, um, she, they've all been huge in my process. And uh, I can honestly say that without them, it would have been drastically more difficult and it may not have actually happened. So like I, I did it for me first, but I did it for them second. And uh, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Awesome. That's awesome. I think, I think this is probably Jeff that's under the recovery revolution page. She said, would love to hear something from your book. Oh, I would love to share something from my book. Um, I actually have a few pieces that uh, I wanted to read tonight. So um some of them are a little lengthy Uh, i have three that i was actually hoping to share um so you guys want me to just kind of go with it yeah go for it man it's all you awesome all right so one second gotta find the page pesky little pages where are you i have it tabbed there it is all right so This first one is a little bit shorter than the others, um, and it rhymes, which is unlike a lot of my poetry for anybody who ends up getting my book. So, you know, I don't do a lot of rhyming. Some of that might, some of you might like that, some of you might not. Yeah. Anyways, this is titled Addicted and Afflicted. When you're addicted to addiction, every sober moment is your greatest affliction. Blinded by solemn, empty bliss of the seductive call by your wicked temptress, the drugs beckon, the bottle calls, caught in the throes of addiction's thralls, ready to give it up to finally quit until you can't do anything without it. Another lapse, another failed attempt leaves you with the feeling of self-contempt. So you stumble your way back to bad choices. They worked to keep away all the voices. The ones telling you you're nothing but shit. The ones telling you to just fucking end it. The ones calling you a failure and a loser. Just another washed up druggie or boozer. But how do you break the ties that bind? Rid yourself of the plague on body and mind. Rise above the desire. Embrace the pain. Learn to cope and show restraint. Ask for help. Don't go it alone. Don't judge yourself lest you cast the first stone. Thank you. 
Um, that's amazing. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that one's so a lot of my stuff, it's definitely self-reflective. It's definitely on darker side. It's uh, very raw as uh, some of the people that have uh, given me some feedback and put it. Um, I don't really go for the happy-go-lucky, touchy-lovey stuff. It's not really my style. So just a warning to anybody who's interested. Um, if you're looking for cuddly, good-feeling, happy-go-lucky stuff, my book may not be for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Brett, you've, uh, you've read it, and uh, I'm sure you can vouch. It's uh, not for the faint of heart, um, but it's very real. Um, it's it's all thank you cheryl it's it's super real yeah um exactly so that's that's that one um the second piece i'm going to read i just read it to my wife um i think for the first time it's not a new piece it's just i haven't read it to her before until now i guess and uh, she said it's her favorite so hopefully you all think the same um it's titled Escape Artist. Every addict is different. They all have their own story. And even though they may sound the same, they don't repeat themselves. But one thing they all share is that desire to escape. Escape from the moment, from themselves, from their past, their fear of what may come, from the constant gnawing thoughts of what could have been or would have been or should have been. It's an art, really. I myself am an, am an escape artist. I can get away from anything if I try hard enough. It started when I was a kid. I would get away on pure imagination, wandering wonderful worlds. But as I got older, I needed more, more than my own imagination. So I took others, stole myself away into the worlds they made between pages. So many places visited I'll never see. So many lives led that will never be. As I got older still, I needed more. So I turned to the real world to explore. First, I looked for a thrill, anything to get a rush, to raise my heart rate as high as the bar would go. Racing on rooftops of cars and traffic, making flamethrowers in the vacant lot at the end of my street stealing my mom's car to sneak out when I was 14. I found all this adrenaline mixed great with caffeine. Eventually all it left me with though was a bad case of insomnia. And after staying up for three days straight, the delirium led to some interesting places. Dark, distorted thoughts jaded and warped, angst-driven and depression-ridden, these places became less of an escape and more of a cage forged from trauma. When I got to college, I discovered substance abuse, and that really cut me loose. Popping bottles and railing lines, escaping everything I could with anything I could find. It got so bad I couldn't go a minute sober. I realized I wasn't an escape artist anymore, just an addict always looking to score. But I was an addict before the drugs and the booze. I was an addict since my youth because I was always looking for that escape, always trying to get away, get away from the moment and the boredom, get away from myself and my problems, rather than looking deeper for ways to solve them. 
Lately, I've tried a different approach. Instead of escaping, I've made it a point to stay grounded. My last, my, excuse me, my latest escape was from my former self, from my cravings and my vices, from my distorted views and bad choices. It's time I retired from being an escape artist to master the art of living in a moment. Thank you. So there's two things that very much touched me and they were, that piece that you just read was completely different than the other one and equally as like moving just in a completely different way. Um, you know, I, I definitely identified with, you know, wanting to be able to, to live and, you know, but the, the thing that at the beginning when um, you were saying that like no two people were the same and you weren't, and I'm not sure the exact wording, but about repeating, you know, they weren't repeating themselves. And it was actually the exact opposite of how I felt because I felt like I would repeat myself constantly and no one understood. And I, I could say it 500 different ways and nobody understood me. Okay, I get what you're saying. Um, That's uh, a great thing about this is that we can like sit here and talk about it and it can mean different things to different people and be just as moving in different ways. I think that's really cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's part of why I love poetry especially is it's not how the writer intended it for it to be interpreted. It's how the writer hopes it gets reinterpreted because the writer may write something for themselves as like for me like i wrote all this for myself as a means to get ideas out of my head to express myself to kind of like you know just get it off my chest and and whatnot and eventually it, it turned into a book but I wasn't just writing it for me. I was writing it for whoever wanted to read it. And whoever wants to read it has the freedom to interpret it however they please in whatever way it suits them. And that's that's why I love poetry, because you can talk to us the same. You can have 100 people read the same poem, and everybody's going to take something different from the poem. Same thing goes for, like, photography or paintings or drawings. Like, you know, you'll have 100 people look at the same piece, and they will get... A different emotion or a different idea or a different concept from that piece so it's that's that's why i love art in general is because it speaks beyond words well can i ask you a question when Absolutely. you're reading it now do you feel the same emotions or the same way as when you were writing it or do you kind of see it from it i mean like you know, you understand because you were there and you, but, but has it like evolved the way you feel about what you wrote before? So I will always be attached to the pieces that I wrote because they will always hold a special place in my heart for the time that I wrote them. Um, but I will never look at them the same way as when I wrote them because I don't ever feel that way again. My, you can be angry a million times, but every time you're angry, it's going to be a little different because there's different things going on to elicit that anger. So for me, it's every time I read it, I will remember exactly how I felt, but I won't feel that way again. 
if that makes sense. It's a little completely I'm, makes sense. Yeah, I'm splitting hairs a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and, it's like a memory. And that's kind of what I was, you know, you know, wondering. It, almost like you know, a relationship from the past. Like you might meet that person and still like care about them. They still have meaning to you, or even marriage. I mean, when you you it's a different relationship than when you were dating, but it doesn't mean you don't care about it. It doesn't mean you don't remember how you felt. And it's still just, that person's still equally as important. It just evolves. It's different. Yeah. I don't know. No, exactly. I mean, relationships, uh, whether it's with a person, a pet, you know, a family member, like they're, they're constantly evolving. And um, the, the relationship I have with my writing is much the same. It's, it's always evolving. Like, there are pieces that I have from high school that I'll never share with anybody because they're just, yeah, they're, they're high school poems. They need to see high school poems. Um, <laughs> um, that's not to diminish the significance of writing in high school. Like, you know, everybody starts somewhere and that's, that's my roots. That's why I hold on to them is to kind of look back and see where you know, where I came from and where I started. But uh, seeing that and, and comparing it to some of my more recent stuff, it's like, it's like night and day. So it's like, in, in a way, it, it boosts me, but it also keeps me humble. So it's like, okay, there's definitely that that was definitely inside of me. But now, now this is what's inside of me. And I've come a long ways. Sorry if language is uh, frowned upon. <laughs> I think that's great. That's, I mean, you just described growth like to a T. And growth is beautiful. It's not always comfortable, but it's beautiful. It is always beautiful. And honestly, I'd say it's rarely comfortable. If it's comfortable, I don't think it's truly growing. Mm. Yeah, you've got me there. So I have a question about the title. You know, being that I'm kind of involved in the mental health world too, okay. and I actually, um, like, when I lived in Texas, you know, I was in, I was, I voluntarily put myself into a mental hospital for a little bit, so I can, you know. So when you say from the crazy house, like, are you, how are you? Are you just saying um, like, what's that mean to you? Um, part of my uh, sobriety. I, uh, I went to an IOP program that kind of doubled as a rehab center and a mental health facility. Um, I did, like you said, IOP, which is intensive outpatient. So um, I wasn't forced to stay on site and I went willingly as opposed to through a forced program of some sorts. Um, I woke up one day and was recovering from uh, a hangover from uh, multiple substances. I'm not gonna go into a lot of details, but I just kind of looked at myself in the mirror and was like, what the fuck am I doing? And went to my wife and was like, hey, uh, I need to go to rehab. And she turned off the TV and looked at me. She had been a, a year and a half sober already and encouraged, had been encouraging me to you know, follow suit. And uh, she was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, say you need to say that again. <laughs> so I went to a um, facility in Carrollton, so Carrollton Springs, 
and uh, they they got me on the right track. Um, they diagnosed me as bipolar one, I think. It's whichever one is more severe. Um, not to undermine anything with bipolar two. I don't know which one's which off the top of my head. I always confuse them. Um, but I know it's bipolar one or bipolar two. And uh, I also have insomnia, um, ADHD, um, PTSD from a number of traumas, uh, physical traumas, not uh, anything gross. I, I was uh, in a couple of bad um, accidents um, that uh, physically caused trauma to me. And uh, yeah, so I have a, a plethora of mental illnesses that uh, give me a, a interesting line of sight on the world is how I like to put it. <laughs> well, I think that what you said is a, it's a great time to, you know, mention that trauma is different. It's, it, it's about how the person experiences whatever happened. I mean, bullying can be a trauma for one person and it's nothing for another. It can be. So when someone says they have a trauma, a lot of people assume it's something, you know, like heinous or, you know, like, but that doesn't mean it didn't equally affect you just as bad as something. Absolutely. And that, and so I'm glad you're breaking the stigma that, you know, somebody, cause people's minds just go there automatically. Yeah. No, a lot of people just, uh, yes. Um, dual diagnosis of mental health and substance use. Um, it was uh, a fun day at the uh, crazy house for me. Um, they had a, a good time talking to me about all of my fun little issues. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Um, Ashley, what was the last thing you said? I apologize. <laughs> ADHD, you know? We're, no, you're fine. We were talking about trauma and um, that it can be different for different people. And, and um, you said you had multiple diagnoses and I was going to throw in, I don't know that I've met anyone with substance use disorder that didn't have co-occurring. They might not embrace it or have been diagnosed. And who knows if the chicken came first or the egg, but there's anxiety. There's, you know, there's, oh, yeah, I, I have no one has just one. <laughs> yeah, I have anxiety too. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, my trauma was, um, so like I was, I'll just, tell the brief stories um it's physical by nature um not sexual it wasn't uh emotional or anything like that it was i was uh the first one i was at a pool and uh i was playing with some friends and uh i had a bad pool accident and the uh outcome led to me almost dying um i had an out-of-body experience where i witnessed myself being operated on from the ceiling so that's fun um i was in the hospital for a month in the icu and then another two weeks in um just a uh, standard ward before they released me with a colostomy bag and then six months later i was able to get the colostomy bag off um so that was that was a little rough. Um, 
definitely limited me a lot when I was a kid and uh, and growing up. But uh, I was able to overcome it, and uh, I still can go swimming and whatnot. I mean, you know, I still get some uh, some flashbacks when I hear a certain noise or you know, when the wind blows a palm tree frond just the right way or whatever it is, you know, it doesn't take a lot to set it off. Anybody with uh, PTSD can probably relate to that. Um, and then the second one, I was, uh, I was being a young, dumb kid and there was snow in Las Vegas for the first time, practically. I mean, for the first time that I was there and, uh, I grew up in Las Vegas, for those of you who don't know that, which is probably all of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in Las Vegas. Las Vegas doesn't get a lot of snow, obviously. And uh, it snowed, and I was 11. Yeah, I was 11 years old. And my mom promised that if there was snow, uh, she would take me and my friend Kristen to go sledding. So we get up to the mountain where there's this abandoned golf course. So there's these awesome hills that are like, 150 200 feet long just beautiful un, unadulterated clear hills with no tree line or anything so after we're having a good time uh, i get the wise idea to go back to back and kristen facing forward myself facing backwards because you know sledding forwards had lost its allure i guess it wasn't enough don't go sledding backwards. It's a bad idea. Um, and it's never it's, enough. Yeah, it's never enough. No. Um, so somebody happened to have been sitting in the sledding hill area, which is not necessarily a great idea. So I'll take responsibility for the fact that what I did was not intelligent, but they need to take responsibility for the fact that sitting in the middle of the head sledding hill sledding hill was also not intelligent needless to say um kristen bailed off because she saw where the sled was going and uh she tried to take me with her but i was a big kid and she wasn't able to roll me with her so i flopped down to my back and I go head on into this person's back and I fractured my neck. Um, anybody in the medical field, I fractured it at T1 and T2, compression fracture. Um, that was fun. I was very limited on what I could do for a long time. Um, I wasn't paralyzed or anything by any means, just uh, had to play it real safe and let the bones kind of heal themselves like i needed a brace for like the first couple of days and i was on very limited movement for the next couple weeks and then the next few months after that um i still had like a lot of limitations like i, I couldn't run for like six months which telling an 11 year old kid that you can't run come on <laughs> like so that was that was a little lame um so whenever it's like snowy or icy out like uh i'll get some flashbacks with that or like i'll see some things that aren't actually happening and uh yeah so 
that's that's my my trauma experience how do you handle it and how do you like move through that moment to move through it i kind of just remind myself that it's not then anymore it's now and now i'm stronger than i was then um i remind myself that you know i've i've come a long way and that i was able to get past all this other stuff that i've gotten through since then and i just kind of I give myself a pep talk essentially it's it's all up here um you know that's that's where it always begins for me is you know it's up here is where the problem is up here is where the solution is too for me um sometimes you know i i'll just do something to like distract myself like i'll give myself a pep talk and then i'll throw myself into writing um somebody just asked if it was therapeutic uh writing is extremely therapeutic for me um if i didn't have writing i i would have to have something i uh adhd like i have to have something going on i'm like even with my writing i have like six projects going at once um <laughs> so like there's always something to keep me busy so even if i get bored with one project i have another project or five and yeah i i'm constantly working on something um to just keep my mind off of things or to help me work through things and kind of express myself on how I feel about things and just get get whatever's going on up here onto the page it's, or you know if you know if that's not enough I do go to therapy um, if not once every couple of weeks once a month um, it's uh, you know, sometimes you got to talk to somebody about it. Sometimes the professionals are professionals. Like they know how to help you. Like, you know, if I, if I didn't go to my IOP program, if I didn't have my therapist, I, I might still have a lot of problems that I didn't know how to work through, but they've given me a lot of tools to uh, add to my toolbox and uh, a lot of suggestions on how to face and cope with my issues, uh, you know, sometimes it's as simple as making a gratitude list. Other times, you know, it's a little bit more complex of, you know, having to talk myself down from, you know, what, what's making me anxious, uh, you know, and like bring myself back to zero. Um, sometimes I have to do grounding exercises. Uh, you know, there's a variety of things that are helpful, but I wouldn't have a lot of that without the help that I went looking for. There's your mom I in the comment. You know how... yeah. Thanks, Ma. Actually, it was 14. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know how incredibly proud of yourself you should be and how amazing just being able to talk about it the way you're talking about it to be able to help others and to be able to admit that you have hard times and say how you get through them, that if anyone ever tells you that that's weak, they just don't have any idea because that is the strongest thing, probably one of the strongest things I've ever heard. And it is very, very beautiful and you should be very, very proud. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I am proud, not over proud, <laughs> just proud. Um, yeah. And you're your mom and your wife should be proud too. Oh, they are. 
they, they, I'm sure they had a lot to do with it too. They had so much to do with it. My wife, especially I, I wouldn't be here without her. And I tell her that probably not as much as I should, but I, I definitely tell her that. Maybe. Hey, baby. It's those people that believe in us and hope for, for us before we believe in ourselves that make that difference. Yeah. Like, Asking for help is definitely one of the hardest things I've had to do in life. Um, if it's not the hardest, it's probably top five. I still have trouble with it, um, depending on what it is that I'm asking for help on. Um, it's setting aside our ego, setting aside our pride, and owning up to the fact that we can't do it on our own. That's not something anybody should be ashamed of. It's not fucking easy. And anybody who says that's easy, they're either liars or they are the most humble, down to earth, just saint on the planet. And I'd love to meet them. Did you just talk to them for a little bit? But I haven't come across that person yet. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's hard in the beginning when you're like with the admission part because you don't at least at least from my own experience, like I didn't really know where to go to get the help. Like I knew I could probably go to rehab, but I didn't really have the money to, and I didn't know about like 12 step fellowships or anything like that. So I think in the beginning, at least for me, and I'm sure other people out there too, it's hard to find that place, find that community or that support or wherever, wherever that solution is to help you get to that point. Yeah. The, the, the hopelessness of it mm. definitely, can get to you um for me uh part of it was also just thinking i was better off the way i was um and you know the, the lies that we tell ourselves like oh i got this i'm gonna be okay what i'm doing is working just fine i don't need anybody to tell me how to live my life you know and we, we let that ego kind of get in our way um so I, I can totally respect the uh, the admission of just acknowledging like, hey, I have a problem. That step is also extremely difficult because even even if we acknowledge it to ourselves, like silently, like, yeah, maybe doing an eight ball of coke a night is a problem, but I got this. You know, it's. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those things like, you know, until you admit it to somebody else, until you get it out in the world and acknowledge like to other people that you actually have that problem. Like even if and even then, if you do, if you're not acting on the fact that you have a problem, you're just acknowledging it. It's still like you're at odds with that concept because you're admitting it, but it's like half-heartedly so. So like you you have to commit to it. You have to really own it. And just, if you're gonna say you have a problem, you gotta know like you really have a problem. And chances are, if you think you might, you do. And you know, if, you know even if you don't think you have a problem, if everybody else around you says you do, chances are you're wrong, like, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. Either. I've been there. I've gone through it. I've been that guy. Like I was that guy for 
too long for shit. I was addict. I was an addict for since the I was eighteen when I started college. Because uh, I I wasn't an addict until I got to college. Um, I uh, I was relatively like I had drank a number of times before college, but I wasn't like drinking regularly by any means or in excess for that, that matter. It was like sporadically. Like, but college, as soon as I got to college, I became an alcoholic in a month and I started dabbling with, you know, weed like a couple weeks after that. And then I, you know, started snorting pills and popping pills a couple weeks after that. And it just spiraled like so, so, so quickly. And um, eventually it led me to cocaine. And I was a cocaine addict for about two years, along with being a poly user of anything else I could get my hands on. Um, no, no good. Um, like it got to the point where I was, I was selling stuff so I could feed my own habits and tra I, I was trafficking at one point so I could get better deals and meeting all of the wrong people. Like I became a professional middleman for a little while while being in college, which that's a great demographic as far as that goes, but it, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a nightmare. Um, like the fact that I didn't end up in prison is a wonder. The fact that I didn't end up dead is a wonder. Um, yeah, I was I was also my best customer, Jr. <laughs> um, I yeah, facts, big facts. Um, I was also my worst customer because I didn't pay myself anything. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was rough. So anyways, uh, college ended and I was still, you know, doing the same shit. And then we moved out here to Texas cause I went to college in Reno, which is eight hours North of Las Vegas for anybody wondering. And then we moved out here cause my wife got a job out here and it made just way more sense for us to be out here. And uh, all of a sudden, I didn't know anybody out here. So all of a sudden, all my habits like went from here to and I became a huge alcoholic again um, to compensate, like to the point where I was drinking a bottle a night regularly. Um, <clears throat> sometimes it would be a handle. Uh, it, it was and it was always whiskey so it was high proof like it was it was ugly and then i met people that you know and i started getting back into the same habits because you know whenever you drink like that you meet people that drink like that and usually people that drink like that do other stuff too so it started leading me down the same road and then i uh it does take us to the crazy house ashley it's it's no good it's uh it's not worth it uh, i learned that the hard way and and the whole time you've been talking what's been going through my head is how 
think about if you would have asked for help and, you know, you wouldn't have received it or there wouldn't have been the resources to receive it. How much harder would it have been to ask for help the next time? Would the story be different, do you think? Um, it's, yeah. I mean, there were a couple of times where I actually went looking for help. I went to uh, a couple of different therapists and kind of laid it out for them. And I, I, I was lucky enough to have uh, some financial means to my name. And, you know, that's part of how I was able to afford my habits in a lot of ways. And uh, it's like they just didn't hear me. And whenever you go to somebody and it's like you're not heard, it's like it reinforces that either what you're doing is okay or what you're doing doesn't matter or you don't matter or, and it just, it just makes it that much worse. Because, which is speaking to what you were bringing up earlier, like you repeated it 500 or 5,000 times and it's like nobody heard you. Like, I, I know exactly what you mean by that. I experienced that not 5,000 times, but my fair share for sure. And uh, it's heartbreaking because like inside, it's like somebody's just like wrenching your heart around wearing a glove wrapped in barbed wire <laughs> mm. and you're just standing there taking it like you don't matter and it's like what the fuck like there was a couple of sessions where i literally stood up in the middle and walked out and i was like you didn't fucking listen to me at all like there's one in particular that i will never forget and i i, I wrote him a review one star um <laughs> i hope that made an impact at least it got one if there was an option to Better give zero, none would, yeah if there was an option to give zero he would have gotten zero um so i went in there again i i sat down i gave him my spiel for like 20 minutes at least 20 minutes straight just me just going and and talking forever and he said and he responds to me like okay i think i get what you're saying but how does that make you feel i wanted to throw a table at him because <laughs> if he had been listening he would have known how that made me feel because i told him how i felt repeatedly in like 18 or 20 or 30 or 500 different ways in a span of 20 minutes and like i just i got up and i was like you don't listen do you and i just turned around and left and after that experience i had a hard time going to get help because i was afraid that was the experience i was going to have anywhere i went looking um so it speaking to your point about how you know it can make you feel when you feel like you don't have the the means to get it or even if you have the means if you aren't going to be heard when you go to get it like i encourage you to just keep trying and i think that as much you know like for you do you think that as hard it is as it is to 
ask for help. Maybe like as a society, we need to be better at listening and empathizing and giving help when it's asked for. 100%. I mean, this is not just a personal issue. It's absolutely a societal issue. I mean, we have pop culture media telling us on a constant basis that, you know, drinking and doing drugs is like the cool thing to do. And it ruins children. And I'm not saying that we need to censor media. That's the last thing I want to do. I'm saying that we need to own up to the fact that that's bullshit and change the message that we're sending our youth and talk to them about the real shit on how, yeah, all this shit may make you feel great for like a few hours, if that, but the ramifications that it brings are lifelong and possibly fatal and can ruin lives in a matter of minutes if not seconds and it's 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 some serious shit and we don't talk about that enough um i think society needs to learn that being sensitive to the fact that this is an epidemic um not just for like painkillers but for substance abuse at large like and the approach that we're taking to it with the drug war is all wrong like we need to make rehab more available we need to make uh we need to normalize uh therapy we need no oh man i could talk about this for so long <laughs> There's so much I can say about this. It's, um, yeah, society at large needs to really, really just step up its game. And it's, it's, it's tragic that it's gotten to this point. Like the fact that it's so expensive to receive good rehab treatment is, it's unacceptable. It's just, it, it's boggling. It's like, okay, you want these people to do these things to get the help that you want them to get to get them to fit your mold to to be fully functional citizens and you know run about and do all the things that they're they're supposed to do and you're going to charge them 10 grand to to do that you think they have 10 grand to just drop on on getting the help they need don't you think if everybody had 10 grand to get the help they need they'd go fucking get it like are you shitting me? <laughs> like, it's just, it's so ass backwards. Like it's creating its own problem. And we're just, we're just standing by letting it happen. So it's like, yeah, even if people want to get that fucking help, they can't. And if they can't get that help, they're just going to keep turning to the same thing that seems to be working, even though it isn't. And the cycle is just going to keep cycling on. If not getting worse, which it has, <laughs> as we've seen for the past, four decades so yeah and you know it it's oh, it's despicable um i, I don't know what else i agree completely it, it, uh, 100% agree i could listen to you talk about it all day long because i agree with I, everything you're saying I, so, yeah. uh, I could rant about it for uh it my wife has heard me rant about it too many times it's oh it's so aggravating it's so, oh, it's so yeah. 
it's it, it's, it's a, a shame, shame disease it's a shame. It's shame you don't feel like you fit in like you know that you can't get rid of shame with shame and you can't get like the, you know like to like when someone said that telling your story is what made them i can't remember the wording but made them feel like better about their situation or made them feel included that's because it took the, the shame of what they were going through. They weren't alone. They weren't somebody that was different than others. It was when you turn that light on and somebody's not different or dark, it changes things. And um, speaking to that point, um, that's a lot of what I actually wanted to do with my book is show people that they're not alone and that there are other people out there that have been through it, are going through it do have these feelings experiences emotions and, and and that it's okay because not enough people think that it's okay and there's so many people out there that feel like they're alone or that they're weird or they're wrong and it's not weird or wrong it's just it is it is what it is and you know whether it's you know, something you did yourself or something that somebody did to you or whether you, you, whether you made the path or just followed it, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It, the fact is, is it is what it is. And it's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to have those experiences, even if it may not make you feel exactly JR, it's okay to not be okay. Thank you for simplifying it. That's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's just I'm I'm really this book is part of what led me to want to go into substance abuse counseling is um, some of the feedback I got with it is that people were like, oh, wow, I, I'm not alone, or oh, wow, this makes me feel included, or oh, wow, I have these feelings, you gave me words. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Like, it's, I wasn't really expecting that. And, you know, a lot of people have always told me that I'm a good listener and that I'm good at, you know, talking to people about their shit. And while I've been through a lot of my own shit, so I think because of that, it would lend itself to this program. And I think that shows a lot in my book. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's all about helping people and wanting to connect and, and the stigma that it's, it's <laughs> Jay, <you're> funny. <laughs> um, you know, and the stigma, cause it's just, it, it's time like we created the stigma as a society and we we shame people for it like you know we didn't do it in the beginning ourselves like they used to prescribe half this stuff that's illegal and and then it became illegal and so cartels started making it and made almost trillions of dollars off of it because people became addicted to it and they still wanted that shit because you know, one, it worked. And two, it worked really good. <laughs> but we started it. 
like, how are we going to not take ownership over that? And how are we going to just say, like, oh, well, it's their problem. It's not our problem. It's their their issues. Like, no, it's it's a societal issue. It has to be a societal issue. I mean, I'm not this might step on some toes and I apologize if it does. Cancer's a societal issue. Why can't we treat this the same way we treat cancer? I mean, we we've already proven that substance abuse disorder is genetically dispo, uh, predisposed. We've proven it. Like it's 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 a genetic inclination towards substance use. Well, some, some percent. have genetic factors. Yes, percent. not everybody. Yeah, not everybody. Yes, okay. And bacon. But I mean, it's if for the others. It's an environmental, so it's still we. St it's still society's it's, fault. So it's got to be a society's solution. Exactly, exactly. So from both angles, it still comes back to society. And I just it. So yes, society needs to to step up their fucking game because. The ball has been dropped, and it, it, it's just kind of sitting there, and it's going flat. Well, I completely agree. Yeah, you, be, got some before, birthdays. yeah, before before you read uh, the the third poem, uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll do the birthday video. Um, and for anybody that would like to be included in the January video, there's a Facebook post that's pinned to the top of the recovery revolution page so if you'd like to be included or if you are celebrating in the month of january drop your clean or sober date in the comments and you'll be included and without further ado once i find it because i'm still scrolling stalling stalling Where's all right our birthday here, cake we're in our comes. emotions we need chocolate for this yeah. birthday celebration talk, talk to jr <laughs> you should send us each little cakes all right, here's the video with the yeah. December celebrants.
right. So like I said before, if you guys are interested in being on the January list, be sure to comment right here on this lovely Facebook post that is pinned to the top of the page and you can be included in the January birthday celebration. Also, I forgot to show it earlier when Jay was showing it. There's the cover of his book. If anybody is interested, there's a little closer view of the book cover so that you guys can see that at home. And if I wasn't in the middle of moving, I would have held up my copy in front of the camera. But unfortunately, it is still in a box at the new house. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, would you like to, to read? Never, oh, go ahead, Ashley. Sorry. I was going to say I've never been big into poetry, um, but I think I might have to read this book. I mean, the first two were pretty good. So I very much appreciate that. Um, yeah. I For any of you who are like skeptical of poetry, it has a really, really wide range. Um, there's There's poems for pretty much everything um not every poet's for every person there's plenty of poets that i think are garbage uh <laughs> but there's there's a poet out there for everyone i promise um and if i'm if you're interested in my work uh in advance i thank you from the, the bottom of my heart um so this third piece um it's kind of autobiographical, like the last one, uh, Escape Artist. Um, it's kind of telling my story, but it's not telling like the whole story. It's more focused on the story of my addiction. Um, so it's it's just uh, it's just a little more focused, um, and again, it's a little on the darker side. So yeah. Um, it is titled Running. And it's my favorite piece that I've written. If that, means, if that matters. We all have our demons. Mine made me run and run and run. Until I realized that's all I've been doing. And every time I looked back, they were still right there. Chasing me to an early grave. After chasing shots with shots and chopping line after line, indulging the ritual time after time, never knowing where to draw the line, never believing the smoke could get too thick, spending night after night making myself sick, and day after day trying to keep the demons at bay to keep them from getting hold and dragging me down, never seeing that I was just feeding them. I was too busy being young and invincible. I wasn't ready to face them. So I ran. At first it was fun. The chase was part of the game, always racing after the next high, looking for the next drug, another trophy for the collection. Hunter S. Thompson, he would have been proud, but for all the wrong reasons. I would have held my own heavy cross paths. I learned a lot from my own fear and loathing after growing up in Las Vegas. I ran for over a decade getting further and further from the truth, deluding myself with anything but reality. I kept blaming and shaming, failing and wailing, bailing and railing, feeling trapped in a cage I made single-handedly with the skeleton of my former self, keeping me company, watching me run in 
place behind bars. Every now and then a sober thought would surface. It can't be everyone else. And if it's not everyone else, it must be me. Not a realization you want to face when you're an eight ball deep into the night with a bottle of turkey to drown the edge. So like any good addict, I kept running. I was my own biggest problem, my, my own worst enemy, my greatest downfall. All my skeletons in the closet kept trying to open the door, kept trying to invite me in, kept nagging at my conscience. So I kept bottling with the bottle and ignoring their call, thinking I could outrun them all. Too much was never enough. I had already beaten death once, so I could do it again, right? The rush of feeling invincible, the high, the beating mortality, the unbridled euphoria of running along that line. I was ready for that moment, to lock eyes with the Reaper once more, to have another dance with fate. That's what I told myself, and the lie is always more beautiful and simpler to swallow. I didn't know what else to do, and I couldn't say no, because I kept wanting to run, even though I had nowhere to go. Nowhere but deeper into the hole, deeper into the darkness of denial. In denial, it isn't just a river in Egypt, but damn it, does it flow the same way. Muddy and dangerous, the current can pull you under. And if the water doesn't kill you, its inhabitants will. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lately, I've been reflecting on who I am and who I was, where I'm going and where I've been, how I got here and where I could be wrestling with my thoughts. It's an improvement from getting in fistfights with brick walls. I liked hitting things I couldn't break because I wouldn't be accountable for the damage. The only thing that would break was me and I was already broken. So when would it be time to pick up the pieces, to put myself back together? When was it time to see the truth in all the lies, to tear walls down, rip doors from hinge and bear the skeletons of my closet to the very last bone? When would it dawn on me that the sun will shine on despite the shadows? When was it time to rejoin the world and see the light? <clears throat> when will I learn to face myself? Today. Today is the day. Carpe fucking diem. The time is now. Tomorrow never comes to those who wait. An opportunity rarely comes knocking. No one else is going to save me, especially when I didn't want to be saved. Time to excuse me, time to change course for new horizons, take a deep breath and plunge headfirst to the stars and toward my dreams, the ones I lost sight of, the ones I told myself I couldn't reach. No more running away. It's time I stare down my demons and take hold of my sanity. This is my life and I only get one. And it's up to me to be the change that I want to see. The only running I'm doing now is chasing dreams. Thank you. <clears throat> I love how that ends. The only running I'm doing now is chasing dreams. I really like the way it ends too. And you know what? How it begins is pretty cool. Like, because, you know, being a deep thinker and overthinking everything, um, you know, invincible but not ready to face the demons, like, that kind of stood out to me because it's so opposite. You're invincible. So, you wouldn't have been afraid of the demons if you really felt invincible. Like in my head, you know, like that's how I'm. And so I'm like, so, but not ready to face the demons. Like 
you know, and, and as you go on, you know, you, you know, you evolve and, you know, face everything, but it's like, we get it in our head that we're like stronger than the stuff that we're outrunning it because we're strong. And it's, you know, it's, it's opposite of each other. It's just, yeah, no, the, the uh, way it made me think. I yeah, love that. the contrast <laughs> of it was intentional. So like, cause whenever you're young, you, you feel like you can, you can conquer the world and you can you can just you can do anything and you you have all the piss and vinegar to get you through the day and it's just you know you're you're not going to be stopped by nothing except that's not true for any of us um and so it's it's like a lie that we tell ourselves and it's a lie that we believe um and that's like the most dangerous type of lie is the one that you believe yourself um, I think uh, every person who suffers from addiction <clears throat> or who suffered from addiction could agree with that is they always tell themselves a, a number of lies that they're stronger than it. They don't need it. They, they can kick it whenever they want. You know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> Whichever one of those you want to take your pick of. Um, I, I'm sure I, I, I told myself every single one. So like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, any special, uh, category here, but, uh, that was, uh, that was part of it. That was intentional. I wanted to allude to that concept of lying to ourselves and how, even though we may feel invincible eh, we're everything, but, <laughs> Sorry for my squeaky chair. No, you're good. You're good. I loved. I loved the where you brought in your roots with the Las Vegas, and you're talking about Hunter S. Thompson and fear and loathing. I I caught that and was like, I like that. That's that was definitely clever how you how you worked that in. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, Hunter S. Um, I still love the guy. Uh, he still has a style of writing, gonzo journalism, that I will always be in love with because it's so uh, it's so unlike anything that was around during that time. And it's just, it's so in your face. And it, it, it walks the line of uh, nonfiction and fiction. And I love how it plays between the two because it takes reality and then twists it just a little bit and you know gives a, a, a an interesting little interesting little twist and it's just so i can't i can't knock the guy i can't say that he isn't still somebody i uh i favor as far as his writing goes but i can honestly say that everything else he did i i liked him for a lot of other reasons that i don't like him for anymore uh so um yeah he uh he was a character for sure i am so happy that you're not on substances anymore because it would have been such a shame for that brain to not be shared with the world like you are giving us such a gift by sharing it and 
I'm glad you're able to. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate that. Um, I'm actually working on volume two right now of uh, Sober Thoughts. It's uh, two thirds of the way done. Um, I decided that I wasn't done talking about this subject. And uh, well, uh, yeah, I hope it's uh, as successful, if not more so than the first. And I hope that it's at the very least as provoking. <clears throat> Do you have a set release date when you think volume two is going to be out? No, um, I'm still working on the content. I'm not even in the editing stages. So when I say it's two thirds of the way done, I mean, the content is about two thirds complete and I still have a lot more writing to do. And I, I don't, I don't rush my writing. Um, I let it come to me. I don't force it. I have so many other projects to work on that I can just kind of take my pick when I want. And it's, it's not something. So, you know, if I'm exactly art in motion, Ian, exactly. It's not something I want to ever feel like is, is work. Like the whole point of it is for me to be, you know, enjoying it and feeling like it's, it's something fun. And the second that it no longer feels fun, I don't want to know what that's like. So I'm trying not to push it too hard. Um, if I had to do uh, a release date, maybe end of the year, maybe, mm, big maybe though. <laughs> um, I have another collection of poetry that is in the editing stages as we speak, but it is completely unrelated to substance abuse or recovery or anything of that nature. Um, it's more related to nature and philosophy. Um, I was a philosophy major and, uh, and creative writing major. So uh, I did a dual major and uh, philosophy is one of those things that uh, really speaks to me. All the, the deep thinking and, you know, splitting hairs with an idea and getting down to the, the real nitty gritty, like, you know, what's the difference between truth and knowledge kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's going into some of that existential kind of thought patterns and, um, I'm relating some of that stuff to, uh, nature and, um, everyday life and things like that. And there's a little politics thrown in there. Just, just teensy tight a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> said he was, he'd be honored to read it one day and I concur with him. Brett, yeah. are you going to say you concur too? <laughs> no, I was going to say you also do some visual art as well. And I was hoping you would tell us a little bit about that. Oh, um, yeah, I do. Um, currently, that stuff is packed. Otherwise, I'd love to show it off. Um, oh, actually, that's not true. Okay. I have one piece that I can show share right now. So I do surreal art. Um, let's see if I can get it on camera without a huge glare um it's an eyeball with a checkerboard pattern in front of like a swirly pattern of smoke and some numbers um it's supposed to be like the decay of time in the void is what it represents um 
<clears throat> I I was just bored one day and it came to me. Um, that was colored pencil and Sharpie. Um, I do digital art as well. Unfortunately, I do not have any examples I can show right now, but uh, on my Instagram, uh, you can check out some of that stuff. I also do nature photography, which um, that just, I just love nature. Um, it's one of those things I grew up with around a lot of, and uh, I've always appreciated it since. So yeah, it's uh, something that I like to dabble into my free time. Um, I do have some prints available of my digital art as well as my colored pencil, colored pencil prints. Um, and sometimes I'll even go so far as to do mixed media. So I'll start out by drawing something and then I'll digitize it and add some cool effects. Very cool, man. And then here, if 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 they're asking where to find it, there you go. There's your Instagram handle for everyone that's interested. Sorry, I was kind of quiet there for a minute. I was like, I can't remember exactly what it is, and I wanted to make sure I got it right. Yep, that's it. So right there. <laughs> um, and, yeah. for, and for anyone that's listening to the audio-only version that will be coming out after the live stream, that's at jmaxwell.art and writing. Yeah. Um, let's see. Hold on. Am I allowed to post comments in the comment section? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Right. We cool. encourage it. If it'll let me. Well, maybe... Oh, are you in the Facebook live chat? They no. won't let you in this one. You have oh, to be it... on Facebook. If you want to type it in here, I can put it on Facebook for you and say it's yours. Um. Okay, hold on. Two seconds. I can copy and paste because I have yeah, it open. Two seconds. Technical difficulties. <laughs> so I also have a Twitter page that I'm fairly active on now. I can get a link to you for right there. And here is the link to Amazon if y'all don't want to go on the Facebook shop. Uh, okay. That. And uh, yeah, I do plan on eventually releasing a spoken word album. Uh, that's like, I haven't even started recording anything, but that is definitely something I'm interested in doing um and i would also eventually like to do a uh, memoir um i've already started writing it but it's also far from complete and i also am currently in the process of co-authoring a fantasy series so i dabble in all kinds of stuff oh and i like to spin fire um, oh yeah, there's a couple of videos of that on my Instagram. They're towards like the bottom. I don't do it very often anymore. I did it a lot more when I was abusing because it was more fun. Um, it's still a lot of fun. It's just not quite the same. Uh, hallucinogens made that um, a bit more of an experience is the way I'll put it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I do that too. So... 
I don't play music though. So <laughs> I was gonna say, what do you, you co-authoring? Yeah, um, are you co-authoring with? Then what's your fantasy book about? Uh, the fantasy book is about a band of rogues. It's kind of gonna be something along the lines of Game of Thrones meets Breaking Bad. Um, so there's gonna be a lot of uh, drug reference because um, that's kind of how they get off the ground and take over a city is through uh, drug creation and distribution. And they're also thieves. And then eventually they're going to be assassins. And it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Lots of antics and hijinks and shenanigans. Um, and my co-author is one of my roommates from college. Um, unfortunately, I forget the pen name that he's using right now. And I don't know if he wants me to reveal his true name. So I will keep him silent unless he contacts me in the next two seconds. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Completely I, understandable. Yeah. He can always go in the chat if he wants to out himself. Yes, that's later. very true. You know, it'll that's be there. True. Yeah, but uh, he's a very talented individual. Um, he has actually helped me a lot on my journey as well. And uh, yeah, another student, oh, I don't know about that. That's quite the, uh, I really appreciate the fact that you think that highly of me. That's very kind of you, sir. Um, truly, that's that's a really big statement. I don't know if I can fill those shoes. <laughs> He's quite the prolific author. Um, Uh, yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I wanted to be when I was a kid? No. What would? You, what did you want to be? A writer, but I've never started. Like, oh, uh, that's I have like because I have too many ideas and I can't narrow it down, and so I don't. You know, you just have to start. But I'm like, oh well, I'll I'll find something. There'll be something that happens, and I still haven't done it. So you're living my childhood fantasy. So, you know, well, if you ever get started, I would be glad to give you some pointers and uh, read and review your stuff. And I mean that I love helping other creatives sincerely. Well, thank you. It's it's that shame thing, you know, like going through school, it's like it was something that was so important. And then, you know, like and teachers didn't mean to, but they're like, that's a run on sentence. That's, you know, and it just like now, like it just seems so like scary scarier than it should be but it just is yeah no i i totally get that um writing can definitely be, be an intimidating beast because you can write about anything <laughs> and there's no wrong way to do it i'm well okay that's not true there's, there's <laughs> no ways to do it i i misspoke there there's definitely some wrong ways to do it, but uh, there's so many right ways to do it is what I should say. There's so many ways you can write the same sentence and there's so many of them that are that are 100 percent fine. Like they're just, you know, some may be better than others, but it's not really about how great it is. It's about getting it down in the first place. Best thing about writing you could always go back and edit. <laughs> um, 
I can't tell you how many times I have gone back to, because right now we're on chapter, we, we're about to start chapter 14. We just finished chapter 13 with a chase scene. It was fun. And uh, we've gone back through the chapters. Some of them, just a couple. Others, we've gone back through like three or four, maybe five times to to revise them and we've added stuff taken stuff out changed names of characters uh james just it, yeah it's totally gone a different direction than we attended with the uh outlines that we've done it's yeah so that's the best thing about writing is you can do whatever you want with it but it's uh <clears throat> It's definitely something I encourage you to do. It's a great way to express yourself. It's a great way to pass the time. And it's something that you can use to reach others, which, uh, you know, that goes back to the whole society thing, um, you know, connecting with each other and just acting like a society. <laughs> well, until I get the guts to do it, I'm definitely a reader and you know, soaking up as many things as I can read as possible. It's probably my favorite thing to do is to read. Well, hey, us writers, we need you readers. So don't stop doing that either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not nearly as fun if no one reads it, right? No, it's really not. I mean, I, I would love more people to read my stuff just for the sake of reading it. Like, I would love to get more feedback on it um positive and negative because uh, you know positive that's just oh cool somebody else liked it but negative that's something i can learn from like that's something i can use to put towards future future writing so it's like there's no bad outcome there um unless somebody's just being a real meanie that's the word i'm gonna use <laughs> Um, if they're just being intentionally rude, yeah, I'm not going to grow from that. But, you know, if somebody gives me some constructive criticism where it's like, hey, you could have done this this way and it would have been better. It's like, okay, cool. Like, thanks. I appreciate you giving me that insight. Like, so I, I so anybody who's listening that doesn't like my stuff, let me know why. Like, sincerely, I, I'd love to hear what you think was, was wrong and how I can improve, because that's that's the goal, improve. Growth. Well, and I mean, it's, it's more of a, you know, somebody that's honest and that tells you so that you can grow and, you know, have a debate and conversation. Um, that's more, to me, that's showing more respect than someone that lies or pretends or doesn't even read it and pretends they did, like, you know yeah i don't want somebody to just say that they read it and just blow smoke up my ass that's no don't do that i i don't need that that's, that's worthless yeah that's actually how i met jeff vickers is he sent me one of his articles that he wrote and i read it and i replied that i didn't agree with what he said in his article and then we we uh started a whole conversation and then he ended up on the podcast and now he's on the Facebook page and he has his own live show and the rest is history. 
And you agree with some of what he says, and and so not much has changed. But you're <laughs> learning from each other. <laughs> you're growing from each other. Or agreeing and to disagree each other. And he and he went to school, and he and he got off, and he's at school now, so I can talk about him without him having to comment in the comment section. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> You'll hear about it tomorrow. Don't worry. Yeah, will be blown up. Maybe later tonight. That they are, Ian. That they are. Yep. Thank you, Ian. You've been very supportive. Yes. Thank you for joining us tonight. True, sincerely. This is, uh, we really appreciate that. I can talk. I promise. I've been doing it all night. Um, we really appreciate you. <laughs> Apparently I can. <laughs> <laughs> it happen, it happens as as the, as the night goes on, man. I I totally understand. Yeah, getting tongue tied. That's why I keep my episodes short because if I talk for too long, it just all runs together. Well, I sneak a <laughs> sip of diet coke when the camera doesn't show me because I get all dry like that, and then I like get tongue tied because my mouth's all dry. Yeah. I, I took advantage of that during the uh, during the break. So yeah, but the camera has been on you like ninety nine percent of the time, so you haven't had the ability other than that one second. So we have to give you a little leniency on the. I, I'm sure I'm, your mouth is dry. I, I talk a lot. My wife will tell you I have a big mouth. Um, no, it's this has been great. I really appreciate y'all having me and. Um, this this was truly a fun experience and if you ever want to have me again i consider it a blessing so glad well, you've to have been you. great i'm <clears throat> grateful you're here yeah great great to have you on man glad we got to chat again um if anybody is interested i did do another episode with with jay um, i think it was 73 it's been a little while since we first connected yeah. It's been a minute. Um, I remember it was like September. Don't don't get me to lie, man. I don't have a calendar in front of me. I, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> you can September tell was that. mobilized recovery. Uh, it was like the best month. Yeah. No, I. Uh, but yeah, no, Brent. This has definitely been a pleasure to to talk again. And um, Ashley, it's been fantastic meeting you and. Yeah, till next time. Yeah, and remember, guys, if, if you are interested in picking up a copy, the Amazon link is in the comments, or you can go over to the shop tab on the Facebook page and purchase a copy directly from the Facebook page. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw, throw your Instagram and Twitter up on the screen one more time just in case you're wanting to connect with Jay on either Twitter or Instagram. Those are the handles to use to find him. Or if you want to see his other, um, why did I just blank on the word? See, this is what I was talking. This is exactly what you were talking about: getting tongue-tied and not not knowing what to say. Uh, his visual art, you can see that on his Instagram or Twitter accounts. And um, the audio version of this broadcast. Oh, thanks for actually just reposted the uh, Amazon link there in the comments. Um, the audio version of this podcast will be available shortly after we finish this broadcast. Um, so 
So yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in tonight. We appreciate it. Jay, thank you again for coming on and sharing with us, man. Oh, 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 there's one announcement that I forgot. Glad that I saw that. Um, let me get this banner out of the way. Starting in February, we're going to be moving the broadcast to Thursday nights to help accommodate Ashley and Carl so that they can stay and be permanent co-hosts on the show. So we will be moving to Thursday nights starting in February. So mark your calendar or what that's kind of old school make a note on your phone or turn your notifications on for the facebook app and the group so that you know when we go live um and until next time guys remember progress not perfection